You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Second Chronicles 35 is where we're going to be. Second Chronicles 35, don't, don't stand tonight. Uh, we're going to look at, at a few verses. Second Chronicles uh, 20, uh, 35, I should say, um, is where we're going to start. And, and I'm not going to read it. We're actually, let's, let's go Second Chronicles 33. I'll give you some background in just a moment. And then we'll, uh, we'll end up in, in chapter 35. A few years ago on Valentine's Day, I, I think it may have been 2016, uh, a man walked into a uh, Walgreens in Bradenton, Florida, and he was dressed in a hoodie and he had the hood over his, his and he had his face covered. That wouldn't be all that weird today, but he had his face covered walking into Walgreens. Uh, the man's name was Anthony Nemeth, and he intended to rob the pharmacy. So he walked up to the counter and he actually uh, jumped up on the counter and um, he, he made it appear that he had a gun and he put, his, he put his hand into the pocket of his hoodie and he demanded that they give him oxycodone. Now, I don't know why anybody would want oxycodone. I've tr- I tried it after my surgery and, and uh, I had the weirdest things going on in my head. So for some reason, he wanted oxycodone. So as he, as he did, he, again, he slipped his hand inside the hoodie pocket and as if to say that he had a gun, a weapon, and his plan might have worked if not for the guy standing at the counter already. And that guy's name was David West, and he was paying his girlfriend who worked at the pharmacy. Um, it was Valentine's Day, so he was paying his girlfriend a, a romantic visit at Walgreens that day. And what Anthony didn't know was that David West was a uh, two-time Florida State boxing champion. You know where this is going. And so after a few seconds of Anthony Nemeth standing up on the counter, um, David West very calmly walked over to him and pulled him off the counter and then with four punches had knocked him out. It was a very, it's a very edifying video. I recommend that you watch it not right now, okay? That's why I don't trust phones, because I'm not sure. Are they reading their Bible? Are they watching YouTube? I don't know. So um, there's two things about that. Apparently, Walgreens is the place to be on Valentine's Day. That's the first thing, okay? But second, um, sometimes you pick a fight you weren't ready for. And uh, it seems like Anthony Nemeth uh, picked a, the wrong battle. And there are some battles we, that we immediately regret picking, aren't there? You ever been like, I mean, as a kid, as a boy, there were fights I would get into. And, and after getting into them, um, it didn't take me long to realize it was a bad idea. Uh, I, I think it, for some reason it makes me think of, if you've ever seen this happening, there, there's a large bird flying through the air and a, and a very small bird attacking it from every side. And that large bird just wants to get away and he can't. And he's thinking, I picked the wrong battle. Yeah, maybe you've seen that. Now, there are obviously some battles worth fighting. I mean, we ought to fight to protect our families. 
And, and we, we should be passionate about fighting for uh, truth and righteousness. We should. And, and we, should, we should not give up the battle for doctrinal purity. Uh, there are things that we, will, that we should be fighting for. But the big battles aren't usually the ones that trip us up, in my experience. It's not just the big things that, that, that make me fall. It's not the big things that normally get me. It, usually we get into trouble by choosing uh, to fight the battles that we shouldn't even be involved in in the first place. And I'm thankful, listen, I'm thankful to be part of a largely unified church. Now, I know in every church there's some personality differences and there are things, I get that. Um, now, if there are things that way that stay that way, it, that's a problem. Because there should be maturity enough from God's people to deal with those things, okay? And, and we should be a unified church. And you say, well, you know, they won't forgive me and I'm not going to forgive them. That's the wrong spirit. If we want to move forward as a church, we got to take care of those things. And, and I'm thankful, though, for a, for a largely unified church. It's a blessing that this might be more of a preventative type of message. Um, but, but we have to guard against something. We have to guard uh, against uh, picking uh, the, the less important battles to focus on. And uh, we have to guard against it. And there's a king in, in Israel of, of Judah, technically, that wasn't very smart in his battles. Now, don't get me wrong, the, man's, the king's name is Josiah, and he was a great king. He was a, he was a great king. I just want you to think about his resume. Look at chapter 33, 2 Chronicles 33, and we'll read um, a few verses here as we go through. Uh, let, let's look at verse 21. 2 Chronicles 33, verse 21, uh, it says, And Ammon was two and twenty years old when he began to reign, and he reigned and reigned two years in Jerusalem, but he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as did Manasseh his father. Now, if you remember the name Manasseh, Manasseh was a terrible, evil king. Now, Manasseh repented, and he actually turned things around at the end, but he was a terrible king, child sacrifice, terrible things that Manasseh did. Um, and it says, uh, again, he did that which is right, Ammon did that which is, sorry, evil in the sight of the Lord, as did Manasseh his father. For Ammon sacrificed unto all the carved images which Manasseh his father had made and served them and humbled not himself before the Lord as Manasseh his father had humbled himself. But Ammon trespassed more and more and his servants conspired against him and slew him in his own house. But the people of the land slew all them that had conspired against King Ammon and the people of the land made Josiah his son king in his stead. Now the first thing I want to notice here is that Josiah did not come from a, you might call it, he did not come from a Christian home. He did not have a good solid background like the young ladies that, that sang tonight and, and those in our youth group, our young people. Um, he overcame a wicked family legacy to be a great godly man and I'm thankful for that. There are some in here that have overcome a wicked family legacy to be a godly person and I commend you. I'm thankful for that. Look at chapter 34, uh, verse 1. It says, Josiah was eight years old. He was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years. And did, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And walked in the ways of David his father. And declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. He did that which was right in God's sight. And I just want to point out again to our young kids in here, um, here's a young person, a young boy as an eight-year-old who was a king. Listen, all you, all you little ones, not in the youth group, the little ones, listen, um, you can do right as a kid. 
as a child, you can choose to do right and you can take a stand for right. Here's a young man who didn't have a, a godly legacy and yet he was doing right. He was doing right in God's sight. He sought God at an early age, at eight years old. It says in verse three, in the eighth year of his reign, when he was 16, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. So here he is as a teenager seeking after God. And, and he, he goes through and purges Judah and Jerusalem and the high places and the groves. Now in the high places and the groves, that was, that was Judah's way of saying they were worshiping God, but they weren't doing it at the Temple Mount where God told them to worship. And many times they would set up a more convenient place to worship, but that wasn't God's plan for Judah. That's not what he told them to do. And here's Josiah, a young man, a young teenage boy at this point, and he's doing right, and he's taking care of business. I mean, he's, he's, he's knocking the groves and, and uh, the high places down, and they have been up for hundreds of years at this point. And he was the first king to come along, even as a young man, to do the right things. That gives me hope for our young people, I'm telling you. He cleaned up Judah's idolatry, and, and we, see, we see later in chapter 34 and verse 8, now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Maaseah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son, the son of Joahaz, his, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. And we see that, that he sends them in, and they work faithfully, and they fixed God's house. I mean, he, he, was, he, took, he placed a priority on the house of God. As a young man, he saw the importance of God's house. Not only that, verse 19, look at chapter 34, 19. It says, and it came to pass when the king had heard the words of the law that he read his clothes. They, they find this, the scroll, the book of the law, and they read it to Josiah. And upon hearing it, he rents his clothes and repents. Uh, and if only we were that sensitive to God's word still. You know, we hear it three, four times a week, and sometimes I think we're like, okay, where's God's word again? Here's a message again, and we just let it go in one ear and out the other, and let's not get used to God's word. I mean, God's word is transforming us, and if we hear it over and over, and we don't do anything different, we're deceiving ourselves, according to James chapter 1. And so he was so sensitive to God's word that he heard it preached and he, and he, and he was sensitive and he repented. Uh, look at John in verse 27, chapter 34, verse 27. Because thine heart was tender um, and thou didst humble thyself before God. It says, when thou heardest his words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof and humblest thyself before me and did rend thy clothes and weep before me, I had even heard thee, thee also, saith the Lord. And uh, he, was, he was sensitive to the word of God and therefore God uh, answered his prayer and listened to him. L look at verse 30. And the king went up into the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people great and small. And he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. He proclaimed the word of God. He didn't just know it. He didn't just let it change him. He went out with the word and he proclaimed it so it could change people's lives. And I hope that we understand and don't forget that the word, if it's changed us, then why are we not out proclaiming it? So it can change somebody. Do you care that somebody else gets changed like you've been changed? Uh, when's the last time you proclaimed God's word so that other people can hear it? And, I mean, and I just want to encourage you not to just, you know, look at me like it's a Wednesday night and you're tired. I mean, God's word has changed our lives. Let's, let's tell somebody about it. 
Let's get out there and proclaim it. It, it changes us. And, and not only that, he dedicated himself to living righteously. Uh, and ver verse 32, it says, And he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it. So they read the book, and he proclaimed the book, and then he held them accountable. I mean, you talk about, you talk about a man that's taken a stand as a young man, taking a stand to make people be accountable to God's word? I mean, that's hard stuff to do. I mean, uh, as a pastor sometimes, I, I know what God's word says, and I, and I know maybe there are times where somebody, somebody's life isn't reflecting God's word, and God's put me here in this position, not because I'm better than you, but this is just the person God has put here to help you with some things. And I find it intimidating to say, hey, you know, here's something I see, and here's the truth of God's word, and, and you could do well to maybe adjust this in your life. You, you ought to be open to people that, that love you enough, that want to tell you, no, listen, I see this, and if you could just make this adjustment, I, I think God could really, could really use you even more. We ought not be so defensive that nobody can tell us anything. I think we're far too, too defensive sometimes, My, myself included. That's the first, the first thing I want to do when somebody says something about a correction in my life is I want to put up a wall. I want to say, no, not me. I don't want to take responsibility for that. That's in our nature from the garden, isn't it? We don't want responsibility. And look at verse, uh, look at over in chapter 35, verses 18 and 19. And there was, and so Josiah, he, he has a Passover, and he kept a Passover in Jerusalem, and, and it hadn't been done in a long time. It hadn't been done right in a long time. Look at verse 18. And there was no Passover like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet. Neither did all the kings of Israel keep such a Passover as Josiah kept. And the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel that were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem in the 18th year of the reign of Josiah was this Passover kept. And 26 years old and he leads a national revival. I mean you talk about exciting days. In my opinion the greatest bullet point of Josiah's life is found in 2 Kings and it says it this way. And like unto him was there no king before him that turned to the Lord with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his might, according to the, all the law of Moses, neither after him arose there any like him. And I, I'd love to have something like that said about me. And, and I mean, not, not for your sake, but I mean, in God's eyes. I, I'd love to, to be the kind of person that says when he heard the word of God, I'm telling you, he turned and he turned like nobody had turned before him. And there wasn't anybody else like him. I, I, I would love to have a testimony like that. Here's a man who did great things for God. And a boy who took the throne and no godly examples. And he reformed a nation. He lived right. He placed a priority in the house of God. He submitted to the word of God. He was humble before God. He ridded the nation of sin. I'm talking, we could go along. I mean, if you were, you're talking about a resume, I mean, I think he would have been accepted into every Bible college in America. I mean, he had a resume. But you know, there's something else in his life that he'll be forever be remembered by. And he, I mean, he was a great king of Judah, but unfortunately he made this mistake. He didn't pick his battles very wisely. Look at verse 20. After all this, when Josiah had prepared the temple, Necho, king of Egypt, came up to fight against Carchemish by Euphrates, and Josiah went out against him. So the idea here is Pharaoh Necho 
is, is from Egypt. He's the Egyptian king. And the Assyrian king asked him to come up and help him fight against Babylon. So that, the idea, again, is that this has nothing to do with Judah. Okay? This is a fight between Assyria and Babylon. And the king of Egypt goes up to Assyria to help Assyria fight against Babylon. But it says that Josiah went out against him. Okay, remember, this has nothing to do with Josiah. Look at verse 21. But he sent an ambassador, ambassadors to him, saying, What have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have, made, I have war. For God commandeth me to make haste. Forbear thee from meddling with God, who is with me, that he destroy thee not. So that's a word of warning, okay? That's a shot fired right there. He says, why are you coming out against me? Pharaoh Necho says, why are you coming out against me? This fight has nothing to do with you. And in, in Pharaoh Necho's mind, God had sent him on this. Now, I don't know that I truly understand or even believe um, that he knew what he was talking about, maybe. But in his mind, this was an errand from God. Now, I, don't, I doubt Pharaoh Necho was a saved person. I doubt he served the Lord. But in his mind, this was a divine errand. And he says, why are you coming out against me? I have, this has nothing to do with you. I, I, my fight is not with you. And if you don't watch yourself and you, you don't stop meddling with this, and with God who's with me, he says, that he's going to destroy thee. Verse 22, nevertheless, Josiah would not turn his face from him, but disguised himself that he must fight with him and hearken not unto the words of Necho from the mouth of God and came to fight in the valley of Megiddo. Now, I just want to just point out in this story that Jerusalem, from Jerusalem to the valley of Megiddo is about 60 miles. So 60 miles, I mean, my kids think 60 miles is a long trip in the suburban, okay? Now, 60 miles uh, in a chariot or on a horse or whatever he was using, I'm telling you, that, that was a long trip. But he went 60 miles out of his way to go somewhere he had no business being. It wasn't his fight. But he was, look, do, we, do you see if to walk or to go 60 miles means you're looking for a fight. This didn't come to him. Pharaoh Necho didn't walk through Jerusalem and, and, and cause everybody to get upset. No, here's Josiah going 55 miles or 60 miles out of his way to pick a fight. And because of that, look at verse 23. And the archers shot at King Josiah. And the king said to his servants, have me away, for I am sore wounded. His servants therefore took him out of that chariot and put him in the second chariot that he had. And they brought him to Jerusalem and he died and was buried in one of the sepulchers of his fathers and all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah. Man, you talk about an abrupt ending. We have all of this buildup for chapters of Josiah's life doing good thing after good thing after good thing and but because he picks the wrong battle, suddenly, okay, then he died. The picking the wrong battle destroyed him. He, he, he focused on the wrong thing and it, and it, and it took him down and we need to understand that we could be, we can be like this. We can focus on battles that aren't really the battles worth fighting. And I want you to understand this is not a message about doctrine. 
Okay? I believe doctrine's worth fighting for. This is not even a, me- a message about, um, f- about ministry mindsets or philosophy. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about interactions with other people that steer us away from the larger purposes. You see, Ephesians chapter 6 says, We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And I want, you just to, I want to just say this very clearly tonight, that our battle is not with each other. We're engaged in spiritual warfare, and our enemy is not an enemy that we can even see. And it's important that we don't lose that focus by picking battles that distract us from accomplishing what we're supposed to. You know, we live in a world that's fighting thousands of senseless battles. And rather than getting caught up in the fray, we need to be able, as God's people, to know how to pick the right battles. And I want to say this again. This is a preventative message. I'm not preaching this because, you know, we're, we're going to have like a Jets and Sharks showdown after church tonight. Okay? We're not doing that. Okay? Although I would be Team Jet, obviously. So we're not, that's not going to happen. I'm, that's not happening. But sometimes we need to hear messages that will prevent us from getting there. And I think this message could help us with that and help us pick the right battles. And here's the first thing that I want to just point out is that we need to keep the big picture in mind. In verse 20, it says, and after, after all this. And I just want to point out, you say, well, what's all that mean? His resume. Josiah had a resume that could stand up against anybody all the way back to David and Samuel. His resume was just about matchless. And it, it appears that Josiah, once he, he had all these accomplishments under his belt, he started to lose sight of the big picture. What's the big picture? Well, God's plan is the big picture. What was, what was the little picture? Well, Josiah's accomplishments. And yet here he is, after doing all these great things for God, getting sidetracked by something that wasn't part of God's big plan. Compared to God's plan, listen, compared to God's plan, our accomplishments are small. But sometimes we stop looking at the big picture because we're focused on our accomplishments and we're focused on ourselves. And I want to just say, watch out for the all this. After all this, and, you know, we can, we can tend to be, well, look what I've done. And, and no, listen, it's only by God's grace that we have anything good in our lives. None of us have done anything to deserve that God could use us or, or, or help us to do anything special. It's about God's provision. It's about God's enabling in our lives. And, and in all this worldview is dangerous because we start to overvalue self. And it puts us in a position where we think we're calling the shots. And pretty soon we're not acting based on obedience to God's word. We're acting based on self-confidence. And I'm telling you, there's nothing more dangerous than self-confidence. If Josiah had the right perspective, he would realize this battle has nothing to do with him. But he doesn't appear to be seeing things through the big picture anymore. And the humbling thing is, while Josiah seems to have lost sight of the big picture, Pharaoh hadn't lost sight of the big picture (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that I, that I know everything about what Pharaoh was saying, what Nico was saying, but, but he's operating in his mind based on God's plan, the big picture, and here's Judah's king operating on his own plan, which is the small picture. Isn't that flipped backwards? This heathen king is saying, no, I'm following God's plan. Judah's king is saying, well, I'm, I'm going to stand up for my, myself. 
I'm going to stand up in my own confidence. Nico believes he's following God and that he has God's protection. And the heathen king has more faith to follow God than Josiah does. Listen, God's plan is the big picture. And when we stop operating based on that, we put ourselves in a bad position. So you find yourself at odds with somebody over something. Okay, I'm not even going to get specific. That's temp- it's a tempting battle, I'm telling you. Uh, when, you ha- when you're at odds with somebody and, and they've done something you don't like and maybe you did something they don't like, it's tempting to just jump right in, isn't it? Uh, take a step back and think about the big picture. Think, think about the kingdom picture. Does it, if you step back and that thing that has you so riled up, the thing that has you so upset, the thing that has you on the verge of a fight, I'm going to pick a fight. Take a step back and view that through the lens of God's kingdom plans. Does it still matter? You say, why are we getting so practical? Because this is the kind of stuff that prevents churches from becoming all they're supposed to be. And we need to be careful that we don't lose sight of God's big plans because we're trying to promote ourselves or because we're trying to defend ourselves. Listen, sometimes your feelings are going to get hurt, but when they get hurt, see the big picture. And when, I mean, when somebody maybe uh, calls down one of your kids, I mean, it's amazing how many people can get offended when somebody calls down one of their kids. You know, if they're running through the foyer, listen, I, I think we should all give every other adult in here permission to say, hey, slow down. And as a person with a disability now, I'm extra sensitive to this. You know, I mean, it's God's house and let's, Let's treat it like God's house. And we've got to be careful not to be offended. I mean, listen, I welcome you. I welcome you. If my children aren't doing something, that, that if they're doing something they shouldn't be doing, I mean, you, you, have, you have full freedom to let them know. I mean, do it and help them with that. I want your help. You know, we need your help. And we can't see everything at all times. And we have to take little things like that and view them through the lens of the big picture. And it's easy when you get cut off in traffic. To lose sight of the big picture. But there's a big picture and that's your testimony. None of those are battles we need to be fighting. So see the big picture. The second is recognize the danger of meddling unnecessarily. Look at verse 21. It says, but he sent ambassadors to him saying, what have I to do with thee, thou king of Judah? I come not against thee this day, but against the house wherewith I have war. For God commandeth me to make haste, forbear thee from meddling with God. Who is with me that he destroy thee not. And this is metal. It means to stir up. Okay. And if you, if you have a big sister. You know what meddling is. Okay? My sister was very good at stirring up her little brother. She knew the right buttons to push. I see it now in my own kids. You know they know the buttons that they can push. To really get their, their sibling. And you say well your children must, must be evil. Well maybe they are. Maybe yours are perfect. And that doesn't happen in your house. But there's a lot of button pushing going on sometimes. That's meddling. Just to stir it up. I mean and I remember that from what, my view of this. Um, as an illustration is as a kid. For some reason if there was a. Uh, 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 in, in West Texas where I was as a kid. Um, there, was, there were yellow jackets. And there were, there were hornets or wasps, you know, and, and we would, for some dumb reason, we thought it was our job to knock those things down when they would build a nest. 
And I remember as a kid at camp, and we found one, we thought, okay, you know, it's our duty, our God-called duty to knock this thing down. And we knocked it down. I remember running and looking behind me like slow motion. There was a trail of them just kind of curling around the corner right at me, and they got me all over the place. You know, I mean, and, and, but I, it was my fault. Why? Because I was meddling. I was involving myself in something that I really shouldn't have been doing. And listen, he, understand the logistics again. He went 60 miles north um, and west of Jerusalem to the Valley of Megiddo to, fight, to pick a fight. And even if his intentions were right, look at what meddling cost him. It cost him his life. It cost him his reputation. And how many times has our testimony been heard because we get involved in, in something that really isn't anything worth getting involved in? Think about, the Bible does have a lot to say about meddling. Um, Proverbs 3.30, strive not with a man without cause if he have done thee no harm. And there's a lot of offenses in church families or in families or in other situations at work. I mean, there's a lot of offenses that somebody has against somebody else and yet that offense wasn't even against that person. They've taken up the cause of somebody else. And the Bible says very clearly, now listen, if you have a cause against somebody based on somebody else's behalf, the Bible says that you're wrong. Strive not with a man without cause if he have done thee no harm. Proverbs eleven twenty seven says, He that diligently seeketh good procureth favor, but he that seeketh mischief, it shall come unto him. If you seek, you will find. If we go out looking for it, it's going to come. Proverbs 20, verse 3. It is an honor for a man to cease from strife, but every fool will be meddling. The Bible says, and I'm, this is not me saying it, the Bible says if you meddle, if you stir up, if you're out looking for fights, a person that can't keep his nose out of others' business, is, the Bible says it's a fool. Proverbs 25, 8, go not forth hastily to strive, lest thou know what to do in the end thereof, and lest thou know not what to do in the end thereof, when thy neighbor hath put thee to shame. This is happening right here. Uh, jo Josiah goes out, he doesn't know what he's doing, and he gets put to shame. Proverbs 26, 17, he that passeth by and meddleth with strife belonging not to him is like one that taketh a dog by the ears. Man, I love the Bible. And yeah, I mean, I love this picture. Um, you know, you take a dog by the ears and that dog doesn't want you to take it by the ears. And what's going to happen? That dog's going to bite you. And that's the, that's the picture here is that it's somebody that meddle, passes by and meddleth in something that doesn't belong to him is like somebody that takes a dog by the ears. You are asking for trouble. It's like I remember that old show, that old uh, show called The Crocodile Hunter. Anybody remember The Crocodile Hunter? And, um, and he would go up, he'd, he'd see some hole, stick his hand in it. And then start screaming, you know, and pull out and there's a, something attached to his finger like a, a lizard with big old teeth, you know. And you know what I never said? I never was like, oh, I feel so bad for that guy. <laughs> I mean, I can't believe that's happened to him. You know, I would say, I'd say that you get, that's what you get. <laughs> you, you stick your hand in a hole. You don't know what's in the hole. And you get bit. That's what you get. That's the idea here. The Bible, I think the Bible, I think the Bible's funny in some of its pictures. Y'all aren't real laughy tonight. That's okay. You know, are there times when intervention is necessary? Are there times when it's necessary? Yeah. Are there times when it's helpful? Yes. 
That's not what we're talking about. This is about stepping into a situation you don't have business being a part of. And when people choose to fight battles that aren't worth fighting, we put a lot of things at risk. Think about Josiah put his life at risk. Um, sometimes we, we risk putting our relationship at risk. Uh, parents, uh, if we're holding on to battles with other people, our, our children sense that. I mean, you can't, if you have bitterness in your heart towards somebody else, the people closest to you, will, they see right through it. They know it's there. And listen, the last thing that I need as a pastor is to have bitterness in my heart towards somebody and take it home to my family. And my children start to pick up on it because what they will do is take up a cause that's not theirs and their bitterness will be worse than mine because what, they, what I do in moderation, they do in what? Excess. Excess every time. And I know a lot of young people, I know a lot of kids that grew up in good homes, but they latched onto a cause that their parents had and they turn and they turn it against themselves and they were lost because they were they were they were they stuck there uh, they were all in to protect their parents and be on their parents side but that's like sticking your hand in a dog's ear and wiggling it around and you don't if you don't know the dog he's probably going to bite you I, I think about church splits you know churches have been lost to people holding on to battles that could have simply been walked away from Meddling unnecessarily will put so many things at risk. And I just want to ask you, think about the risk before you proceed. The third truth I see here, um, the phrase that came to me was, it's just think before you jump. In verse 22, if Josiah had just, he, he, he disguised himself. I mean, can you imagine? He, he put a costume on. He, went, he put a costume on. And, and just imagine, I'm just looking at Josiah here because he's here. Can you imagine Josiah dressing up like Colin? Okay. Josiah dresses up like Colin and then goes out to a fight. And you think that's just silly and that's, that's just dumb. I mean, why would you do that? Here's the king of Judah, Josiah. He's dressing up like somebody else just so he can get in a fight. And it cost him his life. And I just want to ask you some questions as we come down to this, you know, on Sometimes I just, it's frustrating. You know, you get on the road and, and somebody's driving and they won't go. And you're just waiting for them to go. And you say, are you going to wait for an engraved invitation? I say it just that calmly, by the way, too. <laughs> on the other hand, sometimes I think we ought, to, we ought to live our Christian lives like those cautious drivers. Because they know if they don't see what's happening and they pull out in front of somebody, it puts them at risk. But I think we ought to, as Christians, be that cautious about getting involved in things when, when they aren't really important enough to get involved in. I mean, some decisions require no consideration before you make them. I mean, if my, my family is under attack, I'm, I'm going to jump in and protect my family. In a spiritual way, I'm going to protect against sin in my life. I want to help somebody else. But, but we're not nearly cautious enough when it comes to um, jumping into things that we shouldn't be meddling in and picking fights, picking battles that aren't important enough to fight. So I'm going to ask you some questions. So maybe you should ask yourself the question, is this a battle worth fighting? You know, is it a biblical cause? Does it really matter? 
Uh, is, it, is it worth the argument? Am I going, if I'm going to argue with somebody or I'm going to get upset with somebody uh, about something, is it biblical? Because if it's a matter of opinion, then you probably ought not be fighting it. Uh, is it biblical? That's, that's a good question to ask. A second, is the end result truly beneficial? I mean, yeah, yeah, you could get the last word. And I know, I mean, that's every, I mean, just thinking about a parent, um, husband-wife relationship. You know, you want to get the last word. You want to be right. And maybe you're not as competitive as my wife and I, but <laughs> I want to be right. She wants to be right. And she's usually right, okay? But is it really worth getting the last word? I mean, what's the win that you were right? Is that really a win in a marriage relationship where you're supposed to be working together and moving in the same direction? Is, is, it's, it's one thing to try to convince somebody. Maybe I'm just thinking even not to make a destructive decision or you're going to try to talk somebody out of doing something that's not wise. But it's another just to win an argument or prove your point. Another question is, what do I risk by taking this step? Uh, could I lose a friendship? Listen, if, if taking a step just to pick a battle and that doesn't matter in the long run, is it worth risking a friendship? Uh, on the, also, is it worth risking my reputation? Because if you start getting involved in things that aren't, aren't worthy battles, you, you might hurt your testimony. Uh, you know, losing your temper. Have you ever done that? Is losing your temper really worth your testimony? You know, I, I honestly, I, there are plenty of times in, in life when you're just out and about and you're thinking, you know, I, I, man, I, I, they didn't do that right. And you want to kind of have the last word or you want to make a point. Um, is it really worth losing your temper? Because you have a testimony as a member of Eastside Baptist Church. You have a testimony as a Christian. Your children are watching. There are other people. If you're at Culver's, there's always going to be people from Eastside there. They're going to see you. You know? Do you risk being wrong because you don't have all the facts? That's a good question. I don't know if you've ever done this. You jump into something and you intermeddle into something and before you've actually heard everything and you end up with egg on your face. Is it my place? It's another question. Does the battle need to go through the right channels of authority? Uh, is it really my place to deal with this? That's a good question I think we ought to ask. Listen, there's no situation that God can't handle if we just leave it in his hands. If it's not a big deal, let God take care of it. Can it be handled differently? I mean, it, it, so yeah, you could go in guns blazing. I talked about that a couple weeks ago in marriage. You could go in guns blazing. But if a situation could be handled differently, why not handle it with some grace? Why not handle it with some humility? Uh, young people, you're going to have differences of opinion with each other. And you know what you could do? Um, if somebody has a difference of opinion with you or you get an argument with somebody, you know what you could do? You could go talk to all the other kids in the youth group about it and get everybody on your side against them um, just because you want to win. Or you could just let it go because the thing they said doesn't really matter in the long run. That's a sign of maturity. And if we could have young people that would let God take care of the little things instead of treating them like big things, I'm telling you, uh, you would have a testimony unlike most youth groups and teenage, uh, teenage young people that I know. 
Let God deal with the little things. Why, why, why stew over something that somebody else said? This is good for all of us. It's not just for kids and young people. Does my, here's another question. Does my choosing this battle display consistency? Uh, I'm thinking about parents. Parents, are there battles that, that we end up fighting or facing a lot? You, you feel like, man, this is a battle that I face all the time. Yes. Um, but sometimes, and I've done this too, Sometimes, I mean, you get real passionate about something, but you've let that same thing go for the last month and not said anything. Be careful as a parent to just launch into a battle that you've been letting go because, again, our children will see our inconsistencies. And as a parent, it's easy to focus on the wrong battles. It's easy to get caught up in the little things and we're helping them make sure they're lining up right and they're doing everything right and they're obeying and they're marching to the right beat of the drum and yet if we're losing their heart in the process, we're not focusing on the right battles. And that's easy as a parent to lose sight of the battles. Making a big deal out of something while letting others go is something we're all guilty of. Listen, seek counsel from somebody that you trust before you jump in. Here's something interesting. Josiah didn't talk to anybody. And the Bible says in Proverbs 11, in the multitude of counselors, there is what? There's safety. You know who one of the, you know who one of the prophets at this time of, of Judah was? Jeremiah. If you've read the book of Jeremiah, you know he was never afraid to tell the truth. And you know that he would have told Josiah the truth if Josiah would have asked. And sometimes we pick the wrong battles because we're, full, we're so full of pride. We're not willing to ask somebody else if it's a battle worth fighting. Or we're, we're not willing to get somebody else's opinion before we step into something. And we find ourselves on the wrong end of the battle I mean, you talk about a resource. If I had Jeremiah as a resource in my life, and I would have been asking him about everything. And yet here's Josiah who had done so many things right, and in this case, he did the wrong thing. And you know the saddest commentary? Look at this, verse 24. Almost done. Those of you sleeping, I don't want to ruin your nap, but here we go, verse 24. His servants, therefore, took him out of that chariot, put him in the second chariot that he had, and they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died and was buried in one of the sepulchers of his fathers. And all Judah and Jerusalem mourned for Josiah, and Jeremiah lamented for Josiah. And all the singing men and the singing women spake of Josiah in their lamentations to this day and made them an ordinance in Israel, and behold, they are written in the lamentations. Now the rest of the acts of Josiah and his goodness according to that which was written in the law of the Lord and his deeds. But look at this phrase. First and what? And last. Behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah. So here's the thing. Josiah had a lot of great things written about him. But what's the last thing written about him? He picked the wrong battle and it destroyed him. And so the point is that you can live your life doing all the things right. But picking the wrong battle could be that thing which destroys you. And even if you've done all kinds of things right, the last thing people are going to remember is the mistake you made. So I want to encourage you tonight to be somebody who doesn't pick the wrong battles. 
that you're very careful about the things that you jump right into, there are some battles not worth fighting. Listen, having the last word in an argument, it's not a battle worth fighting. Somebody cuts you off in traffic, leave it alone. Teenagers fighting against your parents' authority, it's not a battle worth fighting. Parents at odds, instead of seeking the best for their children, that can happen. It's not a battle worth fighting. Somebody says something about you behind your back, not a battle worth fighting. You've got a personality difference with somebody at church or, or work, not a battle worth fighting. Church decisions, this is important, church decisions that aren't the main thing. I mean, that can happen. I know it's happened in churches. I know churches that have been split over fried chicken, believe it or not. Other Christian groups maybe that aren't just like us. You know, and, and Jesus even made it clear, those aren't, that's not a battle worth fighting. Here are some battles worth fighting. The spiritual well-being of my family is a battle I'm willing to fight for. The right relationship with God, it might take a fight, but I'm willing to do it. Keeping myself from sin, it's a battle worth fighting. Young people, young men, young men, I mean, you want to keep yourself from sin, it's a battle worth fighting. Matters of God's glory, it's a battle worth fighting. Our doctrine, it's a battle worth fighting. The priority of God's word is a battle worth fighting. The unity and direction of this church, that's a battle worth fighting. You know, and I just think right now, I believe we're seeing the results of picking the wrong battles in so many areas. I just think about Afghanistan this week. You know, you think about what's going on over there. This isn't a political statement at all. But I, it's clear. It, it, uh, we as a country, I love America, but our leadership is usually more worried about winning political battles and making political statements than they are doing the right things sometimes. And those kind of things are going to cost us in many ways. I think about what's happening over there right now. Many American lives and other lives are probably going to be lost. And really, I mean, the, it's because we have some in leadership, and this goes both directions, by the way. I'm not calling out one side or the other. But we have some in leadership that are more interested in, in one-upping the other side of the aisle than they are doing the right things the right way. And it's going to cost our country in a great way right now. And, and we say, well, we see that clearly, but as Christians, I think we can do the same things. There are battles worth fighting, and yet we're caught up in the fray way down here, and we're missing the big picture. Our battle's not with people. Your battle is not with people. You know, our battle is against the spiritual forces that are actively working against God. And when we lose sight of that, we've lost sight of our purpose. And listen, when we've lost sight of our purpose, we've lost. Period. So have you been fighting the wrong battles? And has your energy and focus been directed at the wrong priorities? Maybe you've been in a battle with somebody. And is it a matter of righteousness? Or is it a matter of pride? And even if they're wrong, is winning more important than God's glory? Picking your battles is so important. I, want you just, I just want to say, be careful because if you pick the wrong battle, it could lead to your destruction. And you can ask Josiah. So tonight, I, want to, I just want to encourage us as a church, let's pick the right battles. You know, truth is, we, man, there's a lot to fight for, for God. And there's a lot to fight for, not fighting against each other, but with each other, striving together. 
for the big causes. And yet I believe that God or that Satan will take down more good churches because they stop striving together and they start striving against each other. And I want to encourage you, Eastside, let's be people we, that we say know the bigger purpose. It, that's worth fighting for. So all the little battles way down here, I'm not going to mess with those. Because we're moving in one direction together as a church. And as people that want to make a difference for God. And honestly, I, as you see the day approaching, we better be redeeming the time. Because, I mean, we don't have forever our country is not what it used to be and our situation is not what it used to be. We don't have time to pick the wrong battles. Let's forward together, arm in arm, strive together for the faith of the gospel and see what God could do in what I believe might be the last days here. And we will find ourselves, um, eventually we'll find ourselves winning the battles with Jesus. But until then, let's not pick the wrong battles and potentially destroy what God wants to do in our lives, in our churches, in our families, with each other. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you've been focused on the wrong battles, I want to encourage you today to let's, let's regain our focus. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.